The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Stewardship Through Respect with your host, Holly Wells. The model of being overworked, stressed out, and oblivious to the world around us is no longer viable. We need to become engaged and take an active stand for those issues that are important to us. Get ready to engage and interact with our discussion. Now, here is Holly Wells. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Today's guests, we are with Karen Rotan, and she is a native-born Chicagoan. She is a college teacher, and she is dedicated to sustainability, environmental responsibility, and social justice. She um, really became an advocate when she was asked to run for the Green Party ticket for the Office of Commissioner of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District here in Chicago in 2012, and she is advocating for improved environmental responsibility in the treatment of our wastewater and flood management. That's an exciting topic. And she is just an overall environment in general, environmentalist in general. So welcome to the program, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I would love to just start with a little bit of context. It's always great to understand like how this hall became, like what really spawned you into the you know taking action that step to go from just caring, being passionate about something, and then really stepping up to the plate. Well, it's true that I was asked to run for office, and I think the reason I was asked was that in my own neighborhood, I had become very active at a community level, very grassroots. In fact, I helped get a community garden started, and I also helped start an urban forestry program, Trees Are Beautiful. We are still very quietly planting and caring for trees in Chicago's southeast side. And in that community work, I met members of the Green Party who sat in our community meetings in South Chicago, and they would basically interpret what we were hearing from the city and explain to me what the true nature of the game was and what the true intentions of our city planners were. And it started to put things in context for me because at first I was a little disturbed. I would get to a community meeting and there would be nothing written for us to look at. There would be no proposals on paper. Uh, the people from the city would show up about 10 minutes late. By the time the audience had finally figured out what was being proposed, uh, and started asking questions. It was time to go. The room was being closed. And I I guess I was very politically naive. I thought the purpose of a public meeting was to inform the public, and then I realized that maybe the purpose of the public meeting is to say that the public has been informed, but clearly the less you inform the public, the less oversight there is. So in a way, there's almost a, an interest in not getting the information out to people in the community. And this mm-hmm. is where the members of the Green Party were able to help me understand why we were seeing this. And as I learned more about the Green Party and their program, I don't know if you're aware, but the Green Party is an international party. Uh, it's quite powerful in some parts of Europe where they have a more pluralistic and less dualistic 
uh, government system. Uh, I just became, started coming to meetings, and when, at one point I was asked to run for office. And the reason I think that the Green Party is so interested in running candidates for this office is how we handle our wastewater is very representative of how we treat our environment. So I'm here to talk about that issues, but any other issues you'd like to talk about relating to our planet, how we treat Fantastic. It. Yeah, well, let's start there. I know that when you actually um, were running, you, you it was just eye-opening. So one of the things that's common, you'd mentioned in our city, Chicago, for sure, and in other areas, is that we have the two competing um, entities. We have both the water supply and the water reclamation. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, people don't always realize that in the city of Chicago, when you turn on your faucet, well, we most of us know that water comes from Lake Michigan, and that is through the Chicago uh, Water Department. But when you flush your toilet, at first, or use your sink, or wash dishes, or use a washing machine to wash clothes, any type of water that goes in the drains is first going to go through city pipes, and then at a certain point it's going to get into the large sewer system that's managed by the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District. And also helpful to understand is knowing that the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District extends beyond the boundaries of Chicago, basically covers all of Cook County. Hmm. So there are seven treatment plants in the system. The largest plant is Stickney, that's sort of west of the city. And that one treatment plant is the largest water treatment plant in the whole world. It gives you an idea of the scope of the district and what they do. Yeah. So one of the things I did as a candidate was I started to attend their board meetings. These are held virtually every other Thursday. Uh, They're not downtown. They're just a little north of the river near the Magnificent Mile, 100 East Erie. And the more I listened and paid attention to what they were doing, I started again to start reading between the lines and understanding both what was being said and what was not being said. (laughs) Because, of course, if you attend board meetings for any of these public uh, agencies, you're going to see a lot of self-congratulation. Everything is fine. Everybody's doing a great job. And let's give the soccer soccer team a medal because they won. If the public wants to comment, if you're interested in talking to uh, members of the board for the MWRD, you have three minutes. And one thing, Holly, I don't know if I can go slightly off topic here. Sure. Will you go allow ahead. me? Oh, please. There's no topics. We can talk about anything. <laughs> okay. um, in the city of Chicago, we have two boards that are not elected that I want to bring up right now because they pertain to the environment. One of those is the Chicago Park District, Mm -hmm. and the other is CTA, Chicago Transit Authority. And you may ask yourself, how is the CTA connected with sustainability? And the reason I want to make that connection is, unlike the MWRD where the public can actually, like somebody like myself, can actually try and get on the ballot and run, You don't get appointed as a commissioner of the board of the park district or CTA unless you're appointed. You can't get elected. The public has no influence over who's in those seats. Mm. And so this affects how we use our open space. It also affects our transit system. And if you are a CTA user, you're probably aware that the system is overstressed and overstretched. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that the more 
the, the better quality our public transit system is, the less incentive there is for people to drive. And yeah. so I would, I've been thinking a lot about what I will do now that I'm not going to be a candidate at the moment. That's where I'm at. I don't want to be a candidate again. I'm looking at digging deeper into the workings of those two agencies, the Park District and the CTA, because I feel the people of Chicago are not well represented there. Fantastic. When you go talk to the Park District, you only get two minutes, by the way. Mm. Try and say anything substantive in two minutes. I can say a lot in two minutes, but I, I do understand. I'm not being ironic. I, I appreciate really what you're disclosing here. That is really helpful. Um, and that is good information for uh, anybody out there and not just for here in Chicago, but because we have listeners that are a much broader audience. But what is like a, um, a source? Is there like a trusted source that people can, you know, global, not globally, but nationally or globally that people can check like their water supply or, you know, when their ladder, uh, local water was last tested, what the results were? Do you have any kind of helpful resources for us like on that? I would call my city hall wherever I lived and find out there's, there has to be testing no matter where you are unless you're getting your water from your own well. The level of the testing and what they're testing for, those are other questions entirely. And what, what our drinking water is tested for in Chicago, I could speak to that only as a consumer because I get the report, but as a candidate for the Office of MWRD Commissioner, I was not so concerned with what's coming into the faucet because that was not what I would be working on. I'm concerned with what goes away. Mm. So I know that a lot of people think about the environment as what am I drinking, what am I eating, can I breathe this air, but we, I believe we also need to think about the environment in the other way. What am I washing down the drain? What am I creating for someone else to clean up or cope with because of what I'm eating or I'm drinking. Yes. Yep, that's perfect. Last week, our guest we had on was um, talking about the circular economy, and he's actually part of a community where businesses share waste products from one. One is like a bakery, you know, et cetera, and then they share it with other products that then use it, to, you know, for other, you know, inputs. So it's really, really taking the efficiencies, and they're like in a zero, co- you know, um, system. It's just fantastic. So anyway, not to get distracted on that, but one of the things we were talking about earlier was just overall what I always say is, you know, every day we vote with our voices and our dollars. So we were discussing really, I like to call it, you know, conscious purchasing, but it's really what you were just getting into, what goes into everything you consume or take part of, because everything we do every day affects everything else. So the more we participate, that's almost a vote to keep doing that activity. You know, it's the whole idea with fossil fuels, just, you know, how we consume our resources, what we're doing. So what's kind of your... um, um, insights on that, just anything on this topic you'd like to kind of talk about? Well, I would say the first thing is always to use less, right? We always look at that conservation, whether you are being careful about how you use water. I know there are still people who stand at the sink and run the water while they're doing dishes and they'll turn away from the sink, the water's running, Right. Yes. They'll walk away from the sink, the water's still running, right? Maybe they have a dishpan under that faucet and it's collecting some of the water, but the dishpan's overflowing and they're off in the corner talking to somebody else. We've all seen this behavior. And when you look at the price of our water right now, it doesn't seem that expensive. I just opened my water bill. It was $67 for two months. And then I start to break it down, how the 
what what that water bill is and what I'm really paying for. Well, mm-hmm. as, as Chicago area residents know, we are now paying ten dollars a month for our garbage to be removed, and we pay about a third of a cent per gallon for our water, huh. which doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah. But we also pay the same amount for our sewer. So when you think, well, I just pay a third of a cent for my water, the minute you're buying that water, the minute that water comes in and it's read by your meter, you're automatically being charged to get rid of that water too. Mm-hmm. So your, your bill doubles because right now we pay for every dollar in our, in our water bill that we pay for our water, we have to pay another dollar for sewer. And that still doesn't show you the full price. Right. Because after that water goes down your drain and goes into the city sewer systems, there's a certain point where it leaves the city sewer system and now it's in the MWRD sewers, which are the larger pipes. And we pay for that too, not directly. We pay for it indirectly through our taxes. You can look on your tax bill and you'll see that you're paying again for your water. Mm Mm-hmm. So average American uses 100 gallons of water a day. Wow. Think about that. Water weighs 8 pounds a gallon. That's 800 pounds of water. If you had to carry that much water from a well, you would never use that much water. You would would become instantly creative. (laughs) I'm sure I'm speaking here to some people who have been camping, and when you camp, you know how many times you can use water, right? Yes, yes, and the order of operations are obviously important. Yes, very very important. And I think we've lost that ability to think about resources because so often the resources just show up for us at the flick of a switch or yes, turning we're a handle. Yep. I was correct. talking about this with my um the students in my class because some of them are are aspiring engineers. And I was asking them to come up with a way to stop people from wasting so much water at the sink. Oh, I love this. Before you get into this, because this is going to be a good um, topic, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we will certainly um, touch on that. And we'll come back in a minute with Karen. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ILoveNature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life 
of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's E-Y-E-LoveNature.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. So our guest today is Karen Rotan, and we were talking, our teaser before the break is she was mentioning one of her students was coming up with a way to conserve water, um, specifically when doing the dishes, just as an example. But let's uh, talk about that. Yes. uh, Well, this is one of my personal pet peeves. I can't stand to watch someone at the sink having the water just run down the drain while they're doing something else with their hands. And I often ask myself, because I'm one of the, sort of old school. I wash all my dishes. I lay them down in the sink, and then I turn the water on and carefully rinse all the dishes. And I even let the water drip off one dish onto another so that there's extra rinsing power to really maximize the use of that water I'm using. I love it. And I thought, well, why don't we have something that is more active and less passive so that you actively have to squeeze something with your hand in order to make the water run. You can't just turn the water on and it runs. And the problem with that, as my students pointed out, is that most people like to have two hands to wash dishes. So they came up with the idea of a foot pedal. So you would push down on, your, on the foot pedal and the water would run, and then you could be washing your dishes underneath the running water. And then when you left, took your foot off the pedal, the water would stop running, and then you could go back into the scrubbing phase and then go back and forth between scrubbing and rinsing. Fantastic. So, is it time for me to tell you about my washing machine adventure, or did you have another question? Oh, my God. Let's hear about your washing adventure, and then I do want to get into okay. um, being a member of the Green Party. I know we wanted to really talk about the Green New Deal, because that's really yeah. important to highlight that, but let's hear well, about I can this. Get, I, I can actually get from the washing machine to the Green New Deal. Just give me a few minutes here. Fantastic. Let's, let's hear so, it. This thing, a, a few years back, I had just retired from teaching. I've now gone back, but I had retired from teaching, and it was fall, and I had wanted to return, and I couldn't find another teaching job, and I really had nothing to do. And I also save rainwater. I have a lot of rain barrels, and I was, it was like October, November. My garden didn't need any more water, and I had all this water. So I thought, well, I'm going to use this to wash my clothes because I used to read about rainwater being so good for your clothes and your hair. So I took a hose from my rain barrel and ran it into my basement, and I would allow gravity to fill my washing machine, and I started washing my clothes. And after two months, which was basically the length of my experiment, because after that my rain barrels were freezing, 
I had dropped my water consumption by 10 gallons a day. Nice. Yes, yes. I also learned that when you let the garden hose, when you let the water flow from your rain barrel into your washing machine and you forget about it because you're doing something else and it overflows, that it will not break your washing machine. (laughs) That is good to know, but quite a mess, yes. So a lot of people laughed at me when I was, I tell the story, you know, I don't care, you can laugh at me if you want, because if you look at saving 10 gallons a day, and I just already told everybody that we're paying about two-thirds of a cent per gallon of water, you're not saving a lot of money like that. In fact, I worked out how much money I actually saved per hour, and I'm embarrassed to tell you. I was making about four cents an hour running up and down with that hose, making sure that, you know, if I needed some warm water, I would have so much from the rain barrel and so much from my faucet and all the rest of the little fussy things. But, you know, I wasn't working, so I learned something, which was good. Yes, And, and you weren't doing it for the dollar aspect, but yes. I wasn't doing it for the dollar aspect, but I did save water. That's right. I did and got e- water. And got exercise. Yes, I got exercise. That, let's not forget that. And it wasn't strenuous because the hose was, was doing a lot of the work for me and gravity did some of the work. So let's suppose we come to a point where we really do need to conserve water at a whole different level where mm-hmm. we're looking at that 100 gallons a day and we're saying, wait a minute, we got to get down to 10 gallons a day use, right? Mm-hmm. That's a drastic cut. How are we going to get there? We're not going to get there with hoses. We're going to have to really change the way our houses are constructed. We're going to have to set up water systems where when we get water, we use it for one purpose, and then it goes and does something else, and then it goes and does something else. And I think the logical last thing for the water to do is to flush the toilet because that's sort of the last stop, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So... Maybe you take a bath, maybe your bath water goes into your washing machine, it washes your clothes, then it goes into flush your toilet, and every gallon of water just did three jobs. Yes, that's awesome. Yes. So that's the sort of vision that we might get to if we have a real Green New Deal. Because if we have a real Green New Deal, part of that is going to be figuring out how to really use a lot less resources. Yes. And that's going to take some creativity because we don't, we haven't been thinking in that direction for years. But I really want to remind all the listeners that human beings were very intelligent and human civilization was not created out of abundance. It was created out of scarcity. And our technology has given us this artificial abundance that we have to learn to recognize as artificial. And we have to see other ways to to be abundant, that are not just, I can have whatever I want, and whenever I need hot water, I can have it, and if I want to eat meat every day, there's enough for that. I mean, there's just not enough if everybody wants everything. Yes, I love it. That's a very, very good point. So you want me to keep going on Green New Deal? Yeah, please. That's just okay. scratch the surface. So, I know what you talked about earlier. I want to I want to get out of my basement and my washing machine, and I just want to talk to you a little bit about what Germany did because I want to talk about something that actually a success story. Because oh, this Germany is good. Very inspirational. Yes, its electricity now with solar energy, mm-hmm. and in order to get to that place, they had to make some choices and some sacrifices. So about fifteen years ago, I was watching Nova. And I saw that the German farmers 
who had put solar panels on their barns were guaranteed a market for their electricity that was generated. And the price they were guaranteed was 55 cents a kilowatt hour, which is about 10 or 11 times, no, it's about six times the going rate. So a significant price premium. But this was what the German people and the German government had chosen to do, and they were really accomplishing more than one goal. They were supporting their farmers, which, of course, we all should think about supporting our farmers because we want a stable, healthy food system. And they were also subsidizing the initial portion of an industry when it doesn't look as successful as the existing solution. We know the existing solution to having electric power. It's burning natural gas. It's burning coal. It's using nuclear power. We know those are things we need to move away from. How do we move away from something cheap to something that looks more expensive at the beginning? And part of the reason it looks more expensive is because all of, the, of all the hidden subsidies that are given to the energy industry in this country. Mm-hmm. So what Germany chose to do was to subsidize the growth phase of this industry. Now their solar electricity is at a reasonable price. They're leading the world, I think, in the amount of solar electricity they generate as a proportion of their total electricity use, and it's a success story. Why don't we have those success stories in this country? I don't know, but I can personally tell you that I have actually been trying to advocate to personally just put solar on my own townhome in the Uh city, and because I'm in a townhome, so I have that association, uh, extra layer of problems to deal with, but I've contacted so many people that, you know, you get through the internet that say, oh, three steps and you'll have solar installed, so not true. I've dealt with them, and as soon as we get to the red tape and all those aspects, they're like, oh, it is not going to work for you. So clearly it's what you're just saying. It's all the pressures, and it's not economically feasible for these people to come and put the solar, even though I'm very willing and able to pay and all the et cetera. So that's very frustrating. I share this with you. So anything we could do to um, move that forward would be great. And if anyone is out there listening and can help me get solar installed, um, write to me at respectedilovenature.com and you have a new customer. <laughs> Sorry, that was a cheap plug, but oh, <laughs> actually, we do have uh, we do we do have a um, a Green Party member who has a solar company and. The only thing I would say to you is maybe if you find someone else that you can buy a solar system for mm-hmm. because then and have them purchase the system for from you. So like if you are ready to invest in your rooftop, mm-hmm. what if you invested in someone else's rooftop and then they paid the money they paid back to you out of their savings? Sure. I'm all about it. Let's talk about this offline. This I is have, fantastic. I have thermal <laughs> on my roof, but I don't have the electric kit. Okay. And I'm facing challenges, too, and it's making me tear my hair out. Okay. We have um, three minutes to break, so if we have something quick continued that we can talk about, um, one more aspect of the Green New Deal before we take a break. I'm sure there are several that you want to touch on, but any of them that we can cover in uh, three minutes here? I will try. I want to say that... Uh, 100, 200 years ago, the thrust of mankind was to save labor, and I now believe we have to rethink that because we should be looking at ways where we can employ more people, which means that labor saving is not a 100% always a good thing to do. Plus, we have a lot of it, so we can shift that focus. Yeah, it's a whole different problem we're solving, so I, I love it. Yes, so that's an aspect of the Green Deal. I love it. 
I think that's the purpose when we say New Deal is to make things work again. And we have to first acknowledge that things are not working as well as they could be. Yes, so I have listened to, as you know, um, I Love Nature did endorse Jill Stein, so I love the Green Party. It's why we got connected here um, for today's show. But really just the whole idea of what it stands for and the whole New Deal, the aspect of, again, how we put everybody to work for war and we just immediately changed the factories around and we were able to do things so quickly and get things up, get things converted. I mean, when we put something, our minds to it, we can implement it. So like the fact that I can't get solar and it's killing me is so frustrating, but I know it can be done. It's very feasible. um, And so we just got to get over this red tape. So um, fascinating. I love it. Um, All right, we're actually going to take a break now. And when we come back, we will touch on more of the Green New Deal with Karen Rotan. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's EYELoveNature.com. Addiction affects so many of us on a daily basis, but it's not just the individual who is affected, but their family, friends, work, and school life, their homes, relationships, and so much more. Listen to people who have been there and lived through it. Listen for Shattering the Stigma with Mama Dukes and Frankie, a mother and son team who have faced addiction together and continue to fight today. Shattering the Stigma can be heard live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ILoveNature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ILoveNature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, LoveNature.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. So we are back with Karen, and we are talking about, she's a member of the Green Party, and we were just starting to touch about uh, the Green Party, the New Deal. And we were speaking about jobs, and truly, it's just creating jobs that invest in green energy, our infrastructure. I mean, that's kind of where we started going. What else um, is the New Deal about that you would like to highlight for us? Uh, I think it's, you have to go back to Roosevelt, and you have to look at 
when he created the New Deal, why he was doing it. It wasn't just about giving people jobs. It was also about starting things out again and sort of getting our wheels turning. And I think that's one of the things that's happening in this country is we have felt very stagnant. Our economy is stagnant. Uh, the true rate of unemployment is much higher than you read because you're not counted as unemployed if you've given up looking for work, right? You're not even considered part of the labor force at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about a fresh start. And it's sort of scary in a way when you think about making the types of changes that we have to make, but the changes that we're going to be forced to make if we don't make good choices are scarier. I mean, what are we going to say if we have 100 million climate refugees at our door looking for a place because we've lost miles and miles of coastline all around the world? Sure. Are we going to just say, oh, well, we have ours, so this is your problem? You know, there's a, a moral aspect to making the green choice. Yes. And I know that's not necessarily a popular idea in this country because I think for a long time we've just been really indoctrinated with the idea that a successful life is one where we have a lot of possessions and we uh, have outcompeted or at least kept up with the Joneses. And, of course, they're working on keeping it up with us, so... That drives up our gross domestic product. But what happens when you have an economy that's based on such a high level of imports is you don't drive up your, your uh, domestic product in a way that actually sustains an economy because so much of our money ends up going overseas and we just end up in debt. That's right. So, so I, I love where you're going here. Yeah, keep going. I, I was at a uh, climate conference at the University of Chicago a few years back, and they were giving us some statistics on the per capita CO2 production in the 1950s. And when you think about the 1950s, what do you think about? Big cars, houses with no insulation, right? Mm-hmm. Big steaks, lots of, you know, diet diet high in meat, this was a good thing to have lots of meat, right? All these things that now we're saying, well, we shouldn't do this. They had a lower per capita CO2 production than we do. Mm. Fewer emissions per person. Fascinating. It's just because we have so much infrastructure now outside of the personal footprint? I think partially because we've gone to an individualistic direction because a lot of times that big car had three or four people in it. And we didn't eat out as often, so there was less food waste. Meals were prepared in the home. If you think about how many televisions a family would have, a family had one television, one stereo, didn't have all these little plugs going all the time, right? And we tended to live near school. Kids didn't get rides to school as much. There were a lot of things we did very differently. But also the reason I thought it was interesting is the 50s Mm -hmm. was an affluent era right? Mm-hmm. It's an era when we had enough. People didn't have this, this idea that there wasn't enough to go around. 
I think it's back to what we were calling it, the conscious purchasing, because right now there's so much gut reaction of things that it's just easy and things that are at our beck and call that we just consume things that are are not um, a priority and are unnecessary. So I know you keep talking about the fact that we just need to consume less products. I couldn't agree more. That's actually the full tagline of I Love Nature. It's really... um, consume less and be more because I think that's what we need to move into. So I love our line of discussion here. So please continue. <laughs> I'm trying not to do dishes right now. This is well, my normal good. time to do dishes, but I can't. Oh no. <laughs> Holly, I, I do have some questions for you, right? You're oh, a Chicago please. resident. Yes, I am. And are you in a flood prone area? Um, uh, well, me, not me personally, but some people in my townhome association have prob- used to have problems when we had uh, high, high um, water and there was some drainage in just some of the units that had like a down area that was very much underground level. But mm-hmm. we just recently had an alley redo, like a sustainable alley project behind us, which was part of our problem of the drainage. And okay. now it seems that that is not a problem. It's a fascinating project to watch and put in, which is another complete tangent. But really what they put in for this sustainable alley was um, really interesting so yes does that answer your question <laughs> yeah I'm in a very different part of Chicago we're much less paved than you are I live in southeast Chicago and it's an area that used to be a thriving community it's an old steel mill uh, neighborhood and at this time it's been economically depressed for so long that well maybe half of the buildings in my neighborhood are gone, and so we have a lot of vacant lots. So our water, we don't have the same flood challenge as some neighborhoods do. We've mm-hmm. got a lot of drainage, basically. But uh, we've got some challenges in our community because a few years back, we learned we had leaking underground diesel tanks oh, no. that were seeping into the basements of some homes. So it was kind of a, there's one building right on my block that you can, if you go into the basement, Mm -hmm. you can actually smell diesel. It smells like you're, like, right sniffing out of the back of a locomotive or something. It's very, very strong, and that's from years ago. Isn't that a toxic hazard for the inhabitants? Um, No one's living in that house right now. Oh, okay. So when it happened... When the leak was discovered, there was a public meeting and landowners had to, the property owners had to be notified, uh, but it turned out to not be that significant a hazard, and now those buildings are foreclosed and they're all shut up anyway, so I think it would be worse if there were still people here. Right. But, it's, but the scary thing about it was when the testing was going on that discovered the leak, they didn't expect to see the leak moving in that direction. They were suspecting that there would be a leak, but they were suspecting that it would be in a different end of the street. And so I wow. sometimes wonder how much moving under... I'm very near the Calumet River in Lake Michigan, so I'm wondering what are the underground water movements below me and the other house in my community. Yeah, so now, like, this is fantastic. So this is a real-life example. Like, this is what I would love. So right now, this has happened to you. You guys have figured this out. What? Where does someone turn, like, in this environment where I, I don't even know what resources to trust? Where, where do you go when this situation happens? Uh, we don't know because we don't have 
records of the meeting, and the employee of U.S. Steel who was there at the time at the meeting, he's retired, and we don't know who to call to find out more about, like, if we can even get copies of the tests. So this is one of the things that has been sort of at the back of my mind for a while, so I'm going to start working on it. I may give you updates. Yeah, please do. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm originally from um, Michigan before moving to Chicago here, and so um, to me it's very dear to my heart, the Flint crisis. I can't believe that is happening, that they allowed to get so much lead in their water, and that's not an isolated city. Um, So, yeah, this is just very interesting and very concerning. So I would love to be kept abreast of how you kind of are just figuring out how to deal with this. If we can put resources, yeah. It's communities with engaged residents are going to suffer less. And I think in Chicago where you've got a history of certain communities that have been excluded from the process, people are scared to complain They think, well, if I complain, I'm going to get a housing inspection, something like this, that that sort of climate is something we want to move away from. Yes, and we definitely need people when they complain to do it in a way that is documented because, right, we need to have the proof that people are contacting and making these complaints so that later there is records, right? Yes, Uh, though then sometimes if you complain privately and you get an employee who's friendly, you can get information that you shouldn't officially have, and then if you're clever, you can use that information. I mean, politics plays a lot in this because people don't want to be, people don't want to be put on the spot, right? And Mm -hmm. we don't know how many ticking time bombs there are. I don't even know if you've been following the issue with East Chicago where their lead levels are so high in their soil, 91,000 parts per million. Mm. That's scary. Yes, more than scary, uh, yes. <laughs> so, and I know we're actually, um, this is perfect. We're at a perfect time here for a, another quick break. And when we come back, I know one of the things you wanted to actually talk about was biosolids. So um, let's um, touch on that topic when we return. Okay, sounds great, Holly. Thanks, we'll be right back after this break. <laughs> Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ilovenature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. If you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's Busy, Stressed, and Food-Obsessed show. This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. 
Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's eyelovenature.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. tuned in to stewardship through respect with holly wells if you have a question or comment about our show please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com that's respect at eyelovenature.com now back to this week's program Fantastic. Welcome back. So our guest this week is Karen Rotan, and she's here um, to talk about about the environment in general, but really about the Green Party. We were talking a little bit before the break about the Green New Deal, and um, we want to continue on that gambit. So go ahead and tell us anything else you want to tell us about that, or we could go into and start talking about the biosolids. They're both kind of topics that we want to address, and they both are related, so either one. Well, let's start with the biosolids because I think we haven't talked about it at all, and this was one of my central campaign issues. And I just want to explain to the listeners, biosolids are treated sewage sludge. So uh, sludge is what's left after wastewater is treated. It's the solids, and they're allowed to compost. And they do act as a fertilizer. There's a lot of nutrients. They're high in nitrogen. They have phosphorus and probably some potassium in them. They also have traces of a lot of other things. And if you use those biosolids as a plant fertilizer or a soil amendment, there are risks associated uh, depending on where you're using them and how they're using them. And one of the ways that the MWRD has been using biosolids is they actually provide these biosolids, treated sewage sludge, to community gardens and schools. And this was one of the issues that I felt I really needed to speak out on because children are some of our most vulnerable population. And in the area in Chicago, we already have children who have high lead levels. And I was concerned about the potential for lead contamination, but also the potential for some of the other things that can be in these biosolids. And I just want to tell you that the EPA has regulations that say biosolids are safe to use. The regulations do not distinguish the end use. So, for example, if you were to use them as a fertilizer and spread them out and then seed a golf course, and after that you wouldn't be digging into that ground and you wouldn't be disturbing them, that would be on a par with using it for a community garden where every year people are digging in the soil and getting that stuff on their hands and also eating the food that's been grown in the biosolids. Mm-hmm. So when I started to complain about this with the MWRD, they defended their use and they said that, well, the EPA says it's safe. And I said, well, the EPA standards don't really distinguish between uses or users. And can you really say that children are not more vulnerable than adults? And when I went to the EPA website and I looked at their survey they had done of sludge samples, 
this was done, I'm thinking, 2007. They had Mm -hmm. sampled sludge from all over the country. They sampled 74 different water treatment plants. And one of the plants, Calumet, is a plant that we have here. It's part of our system. And the information that was available, and this speaks to what you were getting at, Holly, is how do you find, how do you get information, right? Mm-hmm. So how was information made available to the public? The information was aggregated so that I could look at the test results and I could see maybe out of 70 samples, 70 had tested positive for lead, or I could see that 30 had tested positive for lead, but I couldn't see who had tested positive for lead. I could wow. see the range of numbers for the test results, but I couldn't see which treatment plant was high and which treatment plant was low. Mm-hmm. So what I saw with the EPA study was basically there's things in our sewage that are being returned to our soil in every single sample tested. Wow. Including triclosan. Think for a minute about where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. So when you're washing your hands and you're using an antibiotic on your hands, are you thinking about what happens when that antibiotic goes into the system? And how worried do we need to be about drug-resistant bacteria? Are they starting to ban that now, though? I, I think there, there's an effort to do that, of course, right? But yeah. I don't know how far it's gotten. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't mean it's going to disappear right away. No. <laughs> but I'm going to send you the link, and you can look at that study for yourself. It's not a really radio-friendly type of thing to just for me to recite lists of numbers. No, but this kind of thing is perfect because um, on your and our site, we will underneath where we mention you, we will add this uh, information there for anybody that's interested because yeah. I find this fascinating. So people that also will find this fascinating will be able to look at what you're speaking of now. So I like it. Thanks. I love that you love to be a geek for the environment. I, I do. I try not to let my geekiness show, but it, I really am one. Okay, you're safe with me. <laughs> speaking of geeky things. We, we um, need the geeks. Yes, yes. Um, it's preparing. not all glamour, and uh, we need the information, and that's not always easy to get. Because no, it's not. So, yes, any other links to, that you have that you think are helpful, that, again, that you just think are really trusted uh, sources for just water um, testing or what you're saying, water improvement, et cetera, those links that you send me later, I'll put up on our website. So, again, all of our users, that's what it's all about, collaboration and any trusted sites that we know we can give out to people that that's what we want to provide. So, sorry, continue. Yes, and you know that the city of Chicago does provide water testing kits. Yes, it only takes three months to get them. <laughs> well, and one thing I didn't realize, and is this true? I didn't even go look, but when I was doing some research for our episode here, that uh, on our faucets, it should show like how much water goes through your faucet. You can actually see there's something on the little actual faucet nozzle. Is that true? That I haven't seen. I just the only data I look at is my bi monthly water consumption. Yes, right that's now better. I have 54 yeah. gallons a day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first thing to the first place to learn about your water consumption is just look at your water bill. Correct. It's going to tell you how many thousand gallons was at the beginning and end if you're metered. Yep. And if you're not metered, I would love to tell people just get metered. <laughs> uh, for most people, it saves money. You get little goodies when you do it, and one of the little goodies you can get is a rain barrel, 
And even if you don't want to use your rain barrel to do your clothes, rain barrels are super handy. One thing they do is they collect water and keep it out of your sewer for a little while, out of your drains, and that helps keep from flooding your system. And then, like, my extra rainwater, most of it goes into my parkway because I have parkway trees. So that's sort of just a nice place, and I get my trees to grow a little faster, and I keep the water away from my basement. Fantastic. Yeah, and if you could actually just give us some real time how you started. You clearly have multiple rain barrels, and that's something also, again, I know I would love to just start utilizing. So where do you put them for best efficiency, and how do they collect it? Like, what is the setup, et cetera? If you can just kind of really quickly walk us through that. It's like a real experience. screen on the top. That's mm-hmm. the key, and, and some holes in the top, and then you put it right under your downspout. Hmm. And then at the bottom, there's like a little drain, and you could connect a hose to that. And then near the top, there's an overflow drain. You connect a hose to that one, too. Because usually, if your roof is of any size at all, you're going to fill more than one 50-gallon rain barrel in a storm. So you have wow. to find a way to move the excess away out of that rain barrel, unless you can get a larger my, my dream is to have, like, a 500-gallon cistern, but I don't have that yet. <laughs> yes, I love it. You got a dream. You got a dream. I you got it. a dream. Get it under your downspout and put a hose at the top and the bottom and just figure out places to send that water where it's going to do good or at least no harm. And so literally when you're putting it in there and connecting it, obviously you have the stops at the end so it doesn't come out when you're not ready for it yet. But is there any other like components you could tell us? Like is there like where did you get your rain barrel? Does it come with the connector kits? What what all is involved when you're doing your first setup? Yeah, connector (laughs) kits. They don't explain anything to you. Um, And one of the things you do have to watch for is air bubbles in your overflow hose because if you get an air bubble in your draining hoses in the wrong place it can block the system up and then the top of the rain barrel overflows and you get what you didn't want which was you get mm. the water going into your basement so i've, I've done a lot of work to make my house less flood prone i have drainage ditches and i also have the rain barrels and i shoot the shoot the water as far away from the house as i can mm-hmm. and thank you uh, all good tips yes 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 it brought out the uh I didn't realize I would I would enjoy it, but now when I lay in bed and I'm listening to the water dropping into my rain barrel, it sounds very soothing to me. Yes, you're being productive while you're sleeping. Yes, it's a it's a nice little sound. It's you you get to and it's after a while you can even tell how full your barrel is by how it sounds. I love it. This is really fantastic. We have like a minute and a half before we have to close our program. It's gone so quickly. So um, we've talked about a lot of things here. So any last parting words on either the Green Party in general, something you think is important for our listeners to hear, or just any last thing that you just want to regrain that we've already spoken about, but you just want to really emphasize again? Don't be afraid to get involved. Yay, that's the easiest way to say it, and that it couldn't be more short and sweet. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Fantastic. Thank you, you, Holly. Thank you so much. We've learned a lot, and um, I'm going to learn even more. So thank you for the uh, ongoing connection we're going to have here. So thank you, everyone, for participating. And for our guest today, uh, Karen Rotan, thank you, and we will uh, be back next week. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Stewardship Through Respect. Please join your host, Holly Wells, again for another edition next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll have more to talk about next week. Have a good weekend.